Good morning, fellow disciples. It's good to be preaching to a full house this morning. It's good to be preaching to a full house. Why do I say that? Because the Lord told us that there are many people to be saved, many people to be healed. There are people who are away from him that are coming home. So with the eye of faith, I see them here already. Amen? Turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. In this season, we're looking at the whole aspect of being a community, of enjoying fellowship as disciples. And I'm going to give you some keys today that are going to help you not only enjoy greater fellowship, but to see fulfilled the words and the things that God spoke to us this morning. The Lord spoke to us. He's speaking to us every time we gather together. And he emphasized this morning the need for right thinking and the right speaking. When I think about the Lord, do you think about the Lord? (laughs) When you think about him, you can't help but go, wow, hallelujah. You see, all praise is a response to revelation. And if we're not living in fresh revelation of God, then praise just becomes something clanging, something repetitive. But when we're living in the ever freshness of who God is and what he's done, it's very, very easy to give him thanks. He's worth your praise, isn't he? I'm glad you agreed with me. I used to have a friend who, um, when I was growing up, Uh, who lived at the bottom of my street. He was my best friend and his family were uh, from India originally. And his mother was a fantastic cook. And you always knew when she was cooking because she would open the back door and the smell of spices and different curries would just waft throughout the entire neighborhood. So if you like Indian food, it was like heaven on earth. And you go into the house, I would spend a lot of time uh, in his house. I think we spent all our teenage years um, playing basketball and trying to steal his sister's music collection. But you always knew when mum was cooking because you could smell the fragrance through the whole house. You know, houses have a fragrance, don't they? You go into someone's house and you, know, you can you smell certain smells or you have certain feelings or it reminds you of certain places. You go into someone's house and it's a house of peace. Go into someone else's house and you think, there's no peace here. This is a house of strife. Because every house has an environment, an atmosphere. Well, the Bible says that the church is a house. We're the house of God. We're we're a house of God. We're the house for God. We exist for him. We don't exist for ourselves. We're not a club. We're the church of Jesus Christ. And we have hallmarks that he says we have. And I want to talk to you about one of those this morning. So we're going to read in Galatians 6 some verses that I'm sure are familiar to you. But there's nothing wrong with reading familiar scriptures. Verse 7 of Galatians 6 says, Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. Isn't that amazing? Whatever a man sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap corruption from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life. So we must not get tired of doing good. Say that with me. Don't get tired of doing good. That's going to help you get everything God has promised. 
For we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Say, don't give up. up. My father used to say, if you don't quit, you'll win. Everything God has promised you, if you won't give up, it'll come to pass. It's even true for those of you who didn't say amen. Therefore, as we have opportunity, we must work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. The household of faith. The church is the household of faith. Say that with me. The church is the household of faith. So when I come amongst the church, not to the church, this, this is a building, this isn't the church, we are the church. When I come among the people of God, I expect there to be a fragrance. I expect there to be a hallmark that the word says. Just like my friend's house when I was growing up, I would go in and I could smell his mother's cooking wherever I went. Wherever I go in this house, whoever I'm talking to in this house, I expect to find unbelief. I expect to find tiredness. I expect to find worry. I expect to find bitterness. Complaining. What am I going to find when I come among this house? I'm going to find faith. Faith. That's the answer I'm looking for. That's the answer in the word. Remember, the answer is always Jesus unless it's something else, okay? The church is the household of faith. Not will be one day, not used to be when we were younger. The church is the household of faith. This morning, there is faith present now because you and I are together. And I want to talk to you today about this element of the church being the household of faith because it is vital for us if we're going to understand what it truly means to be a community of disciples. So turn with me to Acts chapter 2 and we're going to look at very quickly a group of people who exemplified being the household of faith. We were taught for an entire year here in the church a number of, uh, a couple of years ago on the importance of living by faith. We were taught again and again, God says it, I believe it, that settles it. For the just will live by faith. Not by the news headlines, not by a recession, not by uh, opinions. The just will live by faith. So if we're going to live by faith, it must be important for everyone, isn't it? I'm going to read you a, a true story from Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, sorry. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were staying. And tongues like flames of fire that were divided appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different languages as the Spirit gave them the ability for speech. There were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, the multitude came together And was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And they were astounded and amazed saying, look, aren't all these who speak in Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, 
Those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own language the magnificent acts of God. I always wonder how they did that. It must have been amazing. I can hear them in Arabic. I can hear them in Egyptian. It must have been an amazing moment. And they were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what could this be? But some sneered and said, they're full of new wine. But Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and proclaimed to them, Jewish men and all you residents of Jerusalem, let this be known to you and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all humanity. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I will pour out my spirit on my male and female slaves in those days and they will prophesy. I will display wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and remarkable day of the Lord comes. Then whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to these words. This Jesus the Nazarene was a man pointed out to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. Just think about that for a second. It was not possible for Jesus to be held by death. For David says of him, I saw the Lord ever before me. See, he was a man who thought about the Lord. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope because you will not leave my soul to Hades or allow your Holy One to see decay. You have revealed the paths of life to me. You will fill me with gladness in your presence. Brothers, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing this in advance, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not left in Hades, and his flesh did not experience decay. God has resurrected this Jesus. God has resurrected this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. He has poured out what you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what what must we do? Repent, Peter said to them. 
Be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus the Messiah, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. Then fear came over everyone, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and had everything in common. So they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had a need. And every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. What an amazing story of a people just like us. The household of faith. A people who had accepted and believed with all their heart that God had raised Jesus from the dead and that he was and is Lord of all. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. So you are alive. Turn to someone and say, Jesus is alive. And turn to someone else and say, and I'm alive. Here were a people who had come to faith in Jesus Christ and whose lives were forever joined together. I don't know if you follow the news stories every year when they release A-level results and GCSE results, but it seems that they, they like to trick those of us who are a little bit older um, by, by, by throwing out into the media uh, an, a question from this year's exam paper and saying, now if you were doing your GCSEs or A-levels, could you answer this question? I think, I can't remember anything I learned at school, let alone what was on my GCSE paper. But there's one thing I do remember from English, I think English GCSE, and that's that they taught us the difference between a noun and a verb. A noun and a verb. That's a good life lesson. I won't put anyone on the spot who took their GCSEs this week and ask them if they know. But I remember being taught that a verb is a doing word. Do you remember that? A verb is a doing word. Now we often think about fellowship as something that we do. We often talk about it was great I had some fellowship with so and so the day. It was great to get together. Let's get together and we'll do some fellowship. That fellowship becomes acts we perform. That you actively spend time with people and somehow you do this mysterious Christian thing of fellowship. Well, the word fellowship is the Greek word koinonia or kinonia, depending on whether you're Greek or not. <laughs> and it simply means to share or to have in common. To share or to have in common. And when the Bible talks about fellowship, it doesn't talk about something that people did. It talks about something that they had. The believers had a fellowship. It wasn't something that they did. It was something that they were. We are a fellowship. We are a fellowship. It's a bit like when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, the the hand can't say, well, I don't belong. 
Therefore, I'm leaving the body. That's impossible. That's impossible. Or I'm not, I'm not, I don't belong here. I'm not worthy. I've got to leave. No, that's impossible. The hand can't leave the body. The foot can't leave the body. You can't leave the fellowship. What are you going to do? Well, I don't have fellowship with them anymore. Uh, you do. <laughs> it's not something that we do. It's something that we are. It's something that we share. It's something we have in common. We want to be like common people. Because <laughs> we are. We're common. I, I hate to break this notion to some of you well-dressed people here today, but you're common. <laughs> <laughs> We're common people. But what do we have in common? What is it we have in common? Uh, the other night, my wife and I went to see the musical West Side Story. Um, if you don't know, it's based on the uh, Romeo and Juliet by William Shakespeare. And instead of the Montagues and Capulets, uh, it's set in New York City and you've got the Jets versus the Sharks. When you're a Jet, you're a Jet all the way. And um, Tony, one of the Jets, falls in love with Maria, whose brother is the leader of the Sharks. And gang warfare ensures, but there are some nice songs along the way. I won't sing any of them now, <laughs> although I could. But the Jets and the Sharks are two gangs. And you can be a shark if you're Puerto Rican. The Sharks were Puerto Rican. You couldn't be a shark if you weren't Puerto Rican. You couldn't be a shark if you didn't share their common nationality. You couldn't be a Jet if you were, if weren't part of their nationality. They had certain natural things in common that meant they were a gang. The church is nothing like that. Isn't that good? No knives. No breaking out spontaneously into song. Unfortunately. But so often we can think about what we have in common in natural terms. Well, we live in the same place. We dress the same. We look the same. We have similar hobbies and interests. We joined the church at the same time. We're the same age. Our kids went to school together. These are all natural things that are wonderful to enjoy, but they're not the basis of our fellowship. And if that is the basis of our fellowship, then eventually our fellowship will cease. So what is it that we have in common? What do we share? Well, Acts 2.44 shows us something so beautiful about this family and about our family. It says this, Acts 2.44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. All the believers. You see, if you'd gone into Jerusalem 2,000 years ago and asked if there were any Christians in the city, no one would have known what you meant. It wasn't until many years later in a place called Antioch that these believers, these disciples were called Christians. But if you'd said, are there any disciples in this city? Then Peter, James, John, Mary, all these people would have said, yes, we're disciples. We're disciples of Jesus. And if you'd, they'd said, are there any believers here? They said, yes, we're, we're, we're believers of Jesus. We're believers in God. And because we believe in God, we believe in God together. You see, what we have in common, friends, is our faith in God What we share 
is a faith in God. That is what we have in common. So that when we meet together, we may bump into each other. As I bumped into someone this week in a shopping mall, we just went past each other really quickly. Congratulations, I said, on your, what happened to you. Great, isn't it? And then off he went. We had a, a moment of shared fellowship. But it's not passing in the night. It's not seeing each other once or twice a week and doing the rounds with biscuits and coffee. It's we share a common faith. Fellowship is not based on having meals together. Or passing clothes around. Or helping people paint their fence. These are all natural progressions of sharing a common faith. You see, if we understand that what we have in common is faith in Jesus. And as the Apostle John says... We share the word of life with one another. Then what is it to share a meal? Or share some clothes? Or share some time with the brother who shares my faith in Jesus? We share a common faith. You see, to be a believer means you have faith. The Greek words are the the same. To be a believer is to have faith. Are you a believer? Then you have faith. You didn't even need to see her face to become a believer. It was bad, but we were in fellowship. You see, once you've settled this, fellowship is easy. Once you settle that what we have in common is the life of Jesus and faith in God, then fellowship is easy. Do you know it is easy for Christians to talk together about the Lord? It should not be unusual for us to talk together about the Lord. And as we see at the end of this passage, it's not difficult for believers to talk to unbelievers about the Lord. I would like to better amen there. (laughs) But do you know what? We share a common faith, so we share a common life. It's that simple. So that wherever we go in the world, when we meet someone, you think there's something about them that's similar to me. And then you discover, they're a believer. I was on holiday a couple months ago and I I met a man who was staying in the cottage next door to us. And um, I was prompted by the Holy Spirit again and again to go and talk with him. So I I was talking with him over a number of days. And uh, one evening he was sitting out on his own and I went to talk with him and he began to share his testimony with me. And I thought, ah, I knew you were a believer. And he'd he'd been a pastor in a church and had left his job. He had um, given up being part of the family there. He wasn't going anywhere in terms of being part of a church family. And I could see that he was unhappy. And I thought, what can I say to him? So after a while we were talking, and, I, and he was talking about some of the ways he'd been hurt, and this, that, and the other. And after a while I said, but you still love Jesus, don't you? And he said, oh yes, I still love Jesus. And I thought, there's hope for him. There's hope for him. You see, we're followers of Jesus, not followers of a church. We're not churchians, we're Christians. (laughs) And that's why wherever you go and whoever you're with, when you meet a believer, you can enjoy a sharing of life with them because we have the same faith in the same God and he's the same yesterday, today and forever. So we need to settle some things about faith. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, please. What I want to do this morning is to give you some really simple keys that are going to help us all live a life of faith together. You see, the church is a household of faith, so therefore how we operate is in faith. How we relate to one another is in faith. 
When we meet together, we meet together in faith. And you know, faith is so important to God that he gives us a definition of it in the Bible. Faith is not what I say it is. Faith is not what you say it is. Faith is what the word of God says it is. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says this. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Just read whatever translation of the Bible you've got for Hebrews 11.1. Let's read that together. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That is what faith is. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. One man put it this way, faith means you've got what you've got before you get it. You've got what you've got before you get it. So for those of us who said, yes, today people are being saved. I'm going to be used to see people healed. Yes, I'm going to see family members restored. You say, I've already got it. It's mine. I might not see it in the physical realm, but I see it in the spiritual realm and I pull it into my today. Faith doesn't wait until the physical evidence is in front of you. Faith says, I've already got it. Do you understand? Faith says, it's mine already. Is, is the microphone on? Is that okay? Can you? Faith says, God says it, I believe it, that settles it. You know, Abraham didn't get his son when his son was born. Abraham knew he had his son when God had promised his son. Now let's think about this and think about your own life. Let's think, every one of us, about a promise that God has made to you that you haven't seen fulfilled yet. If God promised it to you, you've already got it. Just let that sink in. If God has promised it to you, you've already got it. I think God has promised me salvation in my household. You've got it. God has promised me he's going to use me mightily in my workplace. You've got it. God has promised me health and healing in my body. What have you got? You've got it. Now that takes faith. (laughs) It means you're having to believe something that you're not seeing physically. It means that you're willing to say the realities of this world are the unseen. Do you understand? We're not a people who live by the natural. Our fellowship isn't natural. Our faith isn't natural. It's God says it, I believe it, that settles it. I love faith. Let's keep reading. Verse 2, for by it our ancestors were approved. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen has been made, so so that what is seen has been made from things that are not visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By this, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. And even though he is dead, he still speaks through this. Isn't that amazing? You may die in the natural, but because you're a person of faith, you continue to speak. Do you understand? Faith words, faith words are more powerful than natural death. Abel was dead. But he continued to speak. Why don't we speak faith words while we're living? (laughs) So they continue to speak after we've died. Faith speaks. Would you say that with me? Faith speaks. 
and it speaks in line with the word of God. To confess in the scriptures simply means to say the same as. To confess means to say the same as. So you as a Christian can spend the rest of your life saying things in line with God's word. That's all it means to confess. Sometimes we reduce it down to saying amen at the end of preacher's sentences. Well, if you're a person of faith, you'll agree with any statement of faith. Whether it's made by a preacher in a pulpit or by a person in the, in the playground with your children. Where faith meets faith, it has to agree. Where faith meets faith, it has to act. Faith speaks. Say that with me. Faith speaks. I love faith, don't you? Verse 5. By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not experience death and he was not to be found because God took him away. For prior to his transformation he was approved, having pleased God. Now let's read this verse together out loud. Verse 6. Now without faith it is impossible to please God. For the one who comes to him must believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. Let's stop there a moment. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So because it pleases God, I'm going to be a man of faith. Let me give you a natural example. I always love my children. It does not matter how they behave. I still love them. Every good parent in this room is agreeing with me. You love your kids, don't you? It doesn't matter what they do. You love them. But... Let's be honest, sometimes they don't please us. They do things that don't please us. Some of you are having a revelation there, that's amazing. (laughs) Do you know the the best years of my parenting were before I had kids? Man had seven theories and no children, then had seven children and no theories. But you know, it doesn't matter how my children behave, I will love them. Now we have to settle this. God loves you. And if you have a problem with that, you don't need counseling, you don't need an arm around your shoulder, you need to repent. Because to question the love of God is to not believe his word, which says that he loves you. It is to negate his work on the cross in which once and for all he demonstrated that he loved you. So just believe it. And in believing him, you'll please him. (laughs) You see, I want to be someone who God is pleased with. So therefore, I'm going to live by faith. It is impossible to please God without faith. I could do everything else in my Christian life, but not faith, and I wouldn't please him. But we're on a winner, friends, because we are the household of faith. So we're going to live by faith and please the Lord. Amen? Amen? You know, it's not hard to live by faith. We just hear his word, we believe it, we confess it. And we do it. Someone should write a book about that. Verse 7. By faith Noah, after being warned about what was not yet seen, in reverence built an ark to deliver his family. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and went out to a place he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Let me say two things about Abraham's faith that's going to help us. The first is, your faith is going to go into the lives of your children and your grandchildren. 
but it's your job to make sure it goes there. Who do you think told Isaac about the promise? Couldn't have been his elders, he didn't have any elders. Couldn't have been the ministry gifts, he didn't have any ministry gifts. Couldn't have been the children's workers, he didn't have any children's workers. Abraham put into Isaac the promise. Abraham put into Isaac the promise. I can imagine the first time Abraham saw Jacob, he put the promise into him. And Isaac did the same. You know, the promises of God to you are to you and to your household. Fill your family home with the promises and the testimonies of God. Fill your home with stories about what Jesus has done. If your children never hear you talking about Jesus, change. And talk about the Lord. He's wonderful to talk about. But faith will also do this. Abraham was looking forward. Faith will keep you looking forward. Faith will keep you looking forward. Faith is not a journey into the past in which everything was better and rosier. No, my friends, the days ahead for us are greater than anything we've ever experienced in the past. If you believe it. Verse 11, by faith, Sarah herself, when she was barren, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age, since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. When I think about the Lord, I think he's faithful. When I consider the Lord, considers a thinking word, I think he is faithful. I go back through all the scriptures and, oh man, I can't find a single time he let anyone down. I look at all the lives of my friends, I, think, I can't think of a single time he let anyone down. Did he do things I didn't understand? Yes. Has he done things I didn't expect? Yes. Has he done things that I can't explain? Yes. Is he faithful? Yes. Is he faithful? Yes. He's the rock. And even if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. We have put our faith in a faithful God. (laughs) We cannot lose. Those of you who agree with me cannot lose. Verse 12. Therefore from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, came offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven and as innumerable as the grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith without having received the promise, but they saw them from a distance, greeted them and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now those who say such things make it clear they are seeking a homeland. If they had been remembering that land they came from, they would have had opportunity to return. But they now aspire to a better land, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. God is not ashamed to be called the God of those who believe in him. Isn't that amazing? He looks at Jonathan and Andrew and Greg and says, I'm not ashamed to be called their God. He looks at Ben Baxter and John and he looks at Jason and James and he says, I'm not ashamed to be called their God. He looks at Oliver and he looks at Johnny and he looks at Sean. He looks at Joshua and he says, I'm not ashamed to be called their God because they are people of faith. He looks at Simon and Lottie and Laura. He looks at Brian and Marion. He says, I'm not ashamed to be called their God because they are people of faith. God is not ashamed to be associated with you because you're a man of faith. You're a woman of faith. You're a husband of faith. You're a wife of faith. 
You're a daughter of faith. You're a son of faith. Because you're the household of faith. I'm telling you good stuff this morning. I could give you fire and brimstone if you want it. It's in the notes somewhere. But I'm looking this morning at the household of faith. I'm looking at people who are going to meet together this week in homes or bump into each other in in coffee shops or around the city. And when they meet with one another, heroes of faith are going to be standing eye to eye and encouraging one another in the Lord. I'm looking at people who are going to hear of, 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 of needs that come up and are going to pray in faith knowing their God answers. And they're going to look in their pockets or look in their larders or look in their cupboards and see what practical needs can I meet because I'm part of the household of faith. I'm looking at people who believe that Jesus saves today and who are bold and confident in preaching the gospel to friends, to neighbors, to workmates. I'm looking at people who aren't afraid to lay their hands on the sick and see them recover and who confidently expect every person they lead to Christ to be added to this body. That's the household of faith. You think, I don't feel like that. I do not care how you feel. I don't care how you feel. It's a question of faith, not a question of feelings. What were the testimonies from Emma and Josh this morning? Oh, I didn't really feel like doing it. I didn't really feel like going out. I didn't feel I could be the person to do the job. Your feelings are not to rule your faith. I don't feel like worshipping this morning. Okay, well, God doesn't feel like answering your prayers. <laughs> no. No, no, no. <laughs> No, no, no. It's, we're a people of faith who serve a God of faith. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't have mood swings. He doesn't wake up one morning and say, I'm, I'm in a good mood, because he doesn't wake up in the morning. He's already awake. You don't have to think, oh, if I pray to God at 9 o'clock, you know, whew, he'd be in a bad mood. No, he's a good God. He doesn't have mood swings. He's a good God. So let me give you three things quickly that are going to help you This week, live a life of faith. The first is this. See yourself in the light of God's promises. Verse 13 of Hebrews 11 said, They saw them from a distance. What did they see? They saw the promises of God from a distance. See yourself in line with God's promises. What does he say about you? That's the reality. Not what a teacher has said, not what a parent has said, not what an employer has said, not what the media has said. What he has said is your reality. See yourself in the light of God's promises. The next thing is this. Adjust your attitude. Verse 13 says that they greeted the promises from afar. They changed the way they thought. You know, faith when it comes into your heart and into your mind, will change the way you think. Man said I was a failure. God says I'm a hero. God said, man said I would be poor forever. God said he's made me rich. God, man said I was weak. God says I'm strong. Train your mind to think in line with the word of God. And finally, keep your confession. They confessed they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. Faith speaks. And unbelief speaks as well. And silence is not a confession of faith. (laughs) You can have a quiet confession of faith. 
You don't have to scream and shout, but you do speak. Faith speaks. So in life this week, you're going to be those who are thinking in line with God's word and speaking in line with God's word because you are a people of faith. You are the household of faith. You are the fellowship of faith. Do you believe that? Then God bless you. Have a good day.